Good morning, Hope Church. It's really good to be with you this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Father, we pray as we continue to look at the seven churches today that you would speak to us. Help us to be a church that honours you and a church that displays your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we now come to our fifth session on the seven churches. This week we look at Thyatira. We move on from Pergamum and we now head southeast about 40 miles uh, to Thyatira. Now Thyatira was founded around 300 BC and it was known for two things. It was a Roman frontier garrison that protected the valley and it also had lots of industrial and commercial guilds that uh, controlled the trade. The only mention of Thyatira in the Bible apart from Revelation occurs in Acts. And in Acts it talks about a lady called Lydia. You may remember Lydia. Here's what it tells us in Acts 16.14. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Thyatira was also famous for dyeing, garment making, pottery and brass working, which is where Lydia came in in terms of the trade that she was doing. Of all the seven cities mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, Thyatira would have been classed as the least significant. And yet Jesus sends it the longest letter out of all the churches. And again, it just demonstrates Jesus's compassion and love and that those that the world might think are insignificant are not insignificant in the eyes of Jesus. Let's read uh, the section in Revelation 2 about Thyatira. So this is Revelation 2, 18 to 29. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father 
and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. One of the challenges of reading something 2,000 years old is the distance between their culture and our culture, and their world and our world. Now at the time of these seven churches, people worshipped physical idols. They worshipped gods and emperors. All of that was in full flow. This is not something that our culture is familiar with. Perhaps the closest we come to in the UK is our British sport. Football has a shrine in every city. And the way that we worship football here would have been the way the gods of the age were worshipped. And there were serious consequences if you didn't worship the right god. Try visiting the Albion ground wearing a wolf's scarf and gear. Gives you some idea of the conflict that would have been. A further challenge for believers was that the emperor also had to be worshipped as God. Similar to today in North Korea and China, this is a present day reality. And it's into this context that Jesus speaks. What does he say? He says, this is the message from the Son of God in verse 18. Jesus is clearly reminding the church, there is one God and he is that God and he is the one to be worshipped. What do you do when the world around you does not believe that Jesus is the one true God? What do you do when the world around you will kill you for believing that Jesus is the only way, truth and life? Jesus's opening comments to Thyatira are extremely encouraging. Remember that when we read the letter to the church uh, in Ephesus from Jesus, Jesus said this, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And yet here to the church in Thyatira in Revelations 2.19, Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Whereas the Ephesian church had wandered from their first love, Thyatira had built upon it and they were moving forward. Jesus saw their constant improvement. What a tremendous thing that is. What a great commendation from Jesus. Here is a church that since they came to faith were constantly improving. Again, as in the other letters, Jesus knows what they were doing. He highlights and commends. He commends them for their love. He commends them for their faith and for their service and patient endurance. Wouldn't it be great when we look across the churches in the UK that that is what we become commended for, for our love, for our faith and for our service and patient endurance to Jesus. I think these are amazing church characteristics. They're reminiscent the church at Thyatira are reminiscent of the parable of the bags of silver. They are the servant who produced more than they were given. They started at one point and when Jesus comes to visit the church, it has multiplied what was given. However, don't you just hate these howevers? However, here also Jesus has a complaint, a single complaint against this church. It is similar 
It is a similar complaint as that against Pergamum, and it again has to do with false teaching. We're beginning to see just how pernicious and how dangerous false teaching is in the church. And this false teaching was leading them also to compromise. The surface issues were the same as at Pergamum, food being sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. However, where the code name for this sin in Pergamum was Balaam, the code name for the sin this time here in Thyatira was Jezebel. Jezebel can be found in the book of Kings because she was a king's wife. Jezebel was responsible for causing Israel to sin against God, similar to Balaam's advice. Jezebel sponsored 850 false prophets and these prophets enticed Israel to sin against God. But not only that, but Jezebel went about killing God's prophets. Her activities are called witchcraft in 1 Kings 9 verse 22. Jezebel's legacy in the Old Testament is best summed up in 1 Kings 21 25 to 26. Her husband, the king, was Ahab, and this is what it says about them. No one else so completely sold himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. His worst outrage was worshipping idols just as the Amorites had done, the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. The church at Thyatira had a false prophet in the line of Jezebel. She had sufficient influence on the people and they were following her and sinning against Jesus. Jesus calls this teaching for what it is, not deep secrets, but Satan's deep secrets. What was Jesus's response? It was simple, repent. Even here, Jesus is gracious giving them time to repent. However, a principle in scripture is that where there is no repentance, judgment will follow. Now, the presence of this false teaching is Jesus's only criticism of Thyatira. It is encouraging, however, that Jesus has an extra word for those who have not followed this Jezebel's teaching. He asks nothing more of them than to hold fast to what they have until Jesus returns. What should they hold fast to? Let me remind you. Jesus says to them, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service and patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all things. That's what they needed to hold fast to, to hold fast to the love, to hold fast to their service, to hold fast in faith, to hold fast in patient endurance and to constantly improve in those things. If they hold to that, that was all that Jesus was asking them to do. We now turn to the application of this letter. It should first be noted that no matter how well we are doing, we must always be aware of false teaching. As was the case not just in Thyatira but also in Pergamum, the false teaching came from inside the church. You know, it's really important to understand that not everybody who goes to church is going to bring the truth of God and we need to be really careful about what we believe. The second note is this, that obeying false teaching 
is sufficient for Jesus to remove the church. No matter how well a church is doing, if it ends up not just believing false teaching, but acting upon it, that is sufficient for Jesus to come and to remove the church. It demonstrates just how opposed Jesus is to false teaching. Craig Keener, in his commentary on Revelation, uh, makes a quote from a guy called Bruce Metzger, who makes this statement. Every generation of Christians must face the question, how far should I accept and adopt contemporary standards and practices? Keener then asks, do we ultimately look to the world for our survival or to the God who supplies manna in the desert? This is a really important question. If we believe that the world will supply all that we need, we will end up compromising. But if we believe that God has everything we need and he will supply the manna in a desert, which was a miraculous, a miraculous provision, then we will steer clear of that compromise of false teaching. We may not be enticed in our current world to worship physical idols. We don't live in a nation that requires the worship of the nation's leader. And yet Christians' behavior in work and business and in the community can easily compromise, all in the name of making a living. That phrase, hey guys, it's just business, it's not personal. Craig Keener makes this statement. Another social aspect of this conflict remains no less familiar to us today. Who of us has not been tempted to dismiss warnings from more traditional Christians on some matter or another as simply culturally naive? Whether over music styles, dress codes, or excessive rigidity in relating to other believers, at the same time, we often find ourselves on the other side of the equation, warning Christians we think are straying from the central truth of the gospel into the uncertain reefs of liberal relativism. What one group regards as legitimate, compassionate concern, another regards as legalism and cultural irrelevance. Where should we draw the lines? This is a tough one to answer. 30 years ago in the UK, women would cover their heads in Pentecostal churches. Today, churches can be multi-million pound businesses. Ultimately, it is an issue with truth. And truth is not as hard to come by as people would have you believe. We do need to be familiar with scripture and that should be a challenge for you today. How well do you know what God has said in the Bible? We need more than a devotional relationship with the Bible. I can't emphasize that enough. I don't just read my Bible in my devotional life, but I study it and I check behind it and I look at the culture, etc. And I know some of that is my role as the pastor, but we all need to be familiar with the scriptures. And let me tell you, more than in any other generation, we have tools that make it so easy for a small financial investment. You can have tools on your smartphone or computer that will give you a wealth of knowledge, or you can buy an illustration. Bible that will give you more than you need to fully understand what God is saying. Now it is true that some things have been debated in the church for years, but these tend not to be moral issues. 
Mark Twain, uh, the famous writer, is reputed to have said, Some people are troubled by the things in the Bible they can't understand. The things that trouble me are the things I can understand. The Bible is extremely clear on how we should behave and treat other people. One of the things that this letter touches, as does the letter to Pergamum, is about our economic well-being. And this merits some more comments. It is so easy to ignore biblical mandates to obtain financial gain. It's really sad to see how Christians in business often break Jesus's commands on how we act and behave and their moral values in order to make money. And it should not be so. It seems that there is an idea that business or work don't need to follow biblical instruction. And that's, that's totally wrong. We need to follow it through all of our life. Now, there's little we can do about national ungodly systems. Um, although, let me say to you, there are many things that we use. And if we are willing to put up with some inconvenience, we can stop using many unethical businesses and services that are out there. Now, our excuse in business and life and making a living change when we're in charge. Here's an interesting thought. A century ago, when wealthy people came to faith, by and large, they gave it all, all away. Think of people like C.T. Studd. And yet, as I mentioned earlier, today, some churches are million pound businesses. What has changed? It brings me back to the earlier question I mentioned, to whom do we ultimately look for our well-being? That's, that's a question you need to answer in your life. To whom do you look? Do you look at your pension? Do you look at your income? Because if you look at those things, they are weak foundations. You want to read the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs that really talks about how finances is a false hope. Let me ask a few other questions. Is only the persecuted church expected to live by faith financially? Is the mass of Western Christian wealth mainly intended so that we can have more com comforts and more possessions? Do our Christian values have a higher priority than profit or career advancement? Kina says this, Jesus's approval on the day of judgment has to, sorry, Jesus' approval on the day of judgment has to matter more to us than wealth or status in this life, or we will succumb to the temptation of the Thyatiran believers. In conclusion this morning, the Thyatiran church was about not compromising, even if it resulted in financial hardship. The message from the Thyatiran church is clear. It is possible to tolerate to an extent that we embrace false teaching. And false teaching erodes truth. You know, you may be surprised to find that a great many professing Christians no longer believe that Jesus is the only way. I meet those all the time. They no longer believe that God will send anyone to hell. They no longer believe that grace won't cover a sinful lifestyle. You know, these heresies are not born in a moment. 
They are false teaching that has been left unchecked and unchallenged and they morph into heresy. And ultimately heresy brings judgment. And that judgment comes at the hand of Jesus himself. What will we leave for our future generations? Let me encourage you to engage deeply with scripture. This brings the challenge that we must be sure about what we believe. And this must be reflected not just in our thinking, but in the way that we live. We need to hold strongly to truth. Listen to this challenge in 2 Corinthians. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you've become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Remember this morning that the only criticism Jesus had against the Thyatiran church was false teaching. And we have this amazing wealth of scripture that is available to us so that we can not be uh, tripped up by false teachers that are out there. And, and I want to say to you this in love as well this morning. Not everything that says it's Christian on YouTube or online will come with truth. A lot of it will be false teaching. I know it's a hard thing to say and some will say, hey Simon, what you're teaching is false teaching and, and you need to test what I'm teaching with scripture. But we need to be extremely careful because Jesus is watching the church to see if it will remain true to him. And remember that the thing that the Thyatiran church was commended for was their love, their faith, their service, their patient endurance and their improvement in those things. And this morning as I finish, I want to encourage you. Make it your daily goal. Make it your life's goal to improve constantly in your love for God and for others, in your faith in Jesus and in all that he has done, in your service to Jesus Christ as part of the church of God, and be patient in endurance through difficult and hard times. And when Jesus comes, we will receive a mighty reward. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, I want to thank you for your word that we have been given truth. And as we read it, it brings us into freedom and it gives us life. And I pray today for your people. I pray that we would have a hunger for the word of God, that we would have a hunger for truth. And Father, where we get, uh, where we hear stuff that is false teaching, Father, I pray that your truth would prevail. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in us and that you lead us into all truth. And so, Lord, we pray, watch over us, help us. And Lord, help us not to compromise in financial areas in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.